Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, and today we're talking about social media giant Twitter, or more specifically, the board member that wasn't in internet and Tesla wildcard Elon Musk. Now, if you've been with us in Virtual Legality for a little while now, you know that last week we talked about the fact that Elon Musk bought 9.2% of Twitter on the open market at open market prices and the furor that developed around reporting on that specific issue that was at least in part goaded on a bit by Mr. Musk. And we talked in that video about the fact that 9.2% doesn't actually give you control of the company and that there would still be folks that are controlling Twitter and Elon wouldn't just be able to roll in and change things. And whether or not you thought it would be great that he could or great that he couldn't, either way, you were liable to be disappointed. Now, shortly after that video went up, we actually got a very public bit of news that I didn't cover last week, but it's a good thing I didn't because it fits well within everything that actually wound up happening today. So as of April 4th, 2022, when this was all announced, Twitter went and filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, as a public company, an important bit of news. And companies that are publicly traded have to do this whenever there's an agreement of some amount of specialness, what they call here a material definitive agreement. And they summarized that agreement as follows. On April 4th, 2022, Twitter Inc. entered into a letter agreement with Elon Musk, which provides that the company will appoint Mr. Musk to the company's board of directors to serve as a class two director with a term expiring at the company's 2024 annual meeting of stockholders. Now, as an important point here, class two doesn't mean sub in any way. It's just a separate classification for directors to indicate which directors on their board have elections in given years. It's called a classification. And a classified board is used by a company that is worried about a hostile takeover of the board of directors. If you don't have classification, you can imagine that a shareholder could come, take 51% of the company, and then change out the entire board of directors and take functional control of that company. It's a little bit harder to do with a classified board because every given board member has a specific term of service and you can't really wipe the slate clean or not as easily as we've talked about in virtual legality. You can do basically anything you want as long as you have enough leverage and enough stockholder backing to change the bylaws, to change the classification of the board, that kind of thing. Suffice it to say, he was to be given a board seat that was to last by its term until 2024. Now, what was he going to give in return? As Twitter describes it, for so long as Mr. Musk is serving on the board and for 90 days thereafter, Mr. Musk will not, either alone or as a member of a group, become the beneficial owner of more than 14.9% of the company's common stock outstanding at such time. Suffice to say, he's got 9.2% right now. He would not be allowed for as long as he's on the board with a 30, uh, with a three-month, 90-day tail after that period of time, be allowed to take a controlling position in the company, right? 14.9% doesn't trip anything higher than the 15% thresholds, doesn't trip any kind of issues with exchanges where the stock might be present that would require tender offers, all that crazy stuff that happens when there's a hostile takeover in play. He wouldn't even be allowed to step up to that line uh, because really that would be bad for the board. That would be bad for the company. And that's the consideration that was given in exchange for putting him in the room. Now, they also do give a disclosure here. They say that's not everything in the agreement. It's only a summary. But because they're sharing it with the Securities and Exchange Commission, because this is going out to investors, we can assume that a well-run company acting legally within the ambit of the SEC would be giving us all material information on this deal. So those are the big two salient points. We then see that covered again in Mr. Musk's own filing about taking an ownership while he 
files a different document with the SEC. One of the things we commented on at the top of our video last week was that the SEC document said, hey, I'm not going to get involved with control of the company. I'm not going to get involved with anything like that. I'm going to use the short form document. And a number of outlets reported on that potentially being a problem, especially once this news came to the fore. We see him summarize the agreement just as Twitter did. Hey, it's a board seat and I can't go more than 14.9% in terms of my ownership. We also get a little bit more clarity for how long Elon Musk has been planning all of this. We see purchases beginning in January of 2022 and then going throughout February, throughout March, really accelerating it about here, the top of March, where one can imagine him giving his broker the order, take me up to just south of 10% or buy as long as it doesn't go over this certain amount of money. And he collected a million shares or more virtually every day from this period throughout March. And so we see that this was a long-term plan. And we could also tell as a prominent Twitter user that he was commenting on Twitter dealings and business and things that were floating through his mind throughout this period. Now that's important because that's what Elon Musk likes to do. He likes to goad, he has his opinions, and he likes to have those opinions reflected on by the public at large. So we're gonna remember that when we take a look at what happened today. Before that, however, in light of these filings with the SEC, in light of that letter agreement, we have the official announcement in public. This is when it first came to my attention. This is why I said that he was going to be on the board because as Parag Agrawal, the CEO of Twitter announces here, it was a done deal. I'm excited to share that we're appointing Elon Musk to our board. Through conversations with Elon in recent weeks, it became clear to us that he would bring great value to our board, which is, of course, public relations messaging. That's what you say when you're inviting a new board member on. Certainly not that there's any friction there, but we'll have questions for Mr. Agrawal as well in just a moment. He's been a passionate believer and intense critic of the service, which is exactly what we need on Twitter and in the boardroom to make us stronger in the long term. Welcome, Elon. To which Elon responded, looking forward to working with Pareg and Twitter board to make significant improvements to Twitter in the coming months, which is also the kind of thing that you have to say as a member of the board of directors. Then enter a different date. Today, April 11th, 2022, Pareg Arrowall, Elon has decided not to join our board. I sent a brief note to the company sharing with you all here. And suffice to say, this took the internet by a substantial amount of surprise, I got a lot of folks asking me to comment on it. So here we are in video form, but there's a lot to dive into just with this statement. This is not as corporatized as you might usually see and is a bit of a shot across the bow. Team, Elon Musk has decided not to join our board. Here's what I can share about what happened. The board and I had many discussions about Elon joining the board and with Elon directly. We were excited to collaborate and clear about the risks. We also believed that having Elon as a fiduciary of the company, where he, like all board members, has to act in the best interests of the company and all our shareholders, was the best path forward, and the board offered him a seat. We announced on Tuesday that Elon would be appointed to the board contingent on a background check and formal acceptance. I'm not sure that that announcement actually made its way into the tweets that were covered by most of the public here. That's why it was seen as a done deal without background checks or anything else. But like all things in corporate law and governance, it takes a little bit of time to get really anything done. He says, we announced it was contingent on those things. And Elon's appointment to the board was to become officially effective on April 9th. So Saturday. But Elon shared that same morning that he will no longer be joining the board. 
I believe this is for the best. We have and will always value input from our shareholders, whether they are on our board or not. Elon is our biggest shareholder, and we will remain open to his input. There will be distractions ahead, but our goals and priorities remain unchanged. The decisions we make and how we execute is in our hands, no one else's. Let's tune out the noise and stay focused on the work and what we are building. Now, that's obviously for the folks working at Twitter here, but where the shots across the bow come from are in these middle two paragraphs, right? We were excited to collaborate and clear about the risks. What are the risks of being a member of the board of directors? Well, as it turns out, the biggest risk is what Mr. Agrawal starts to describe in the next sentence. We believed having Elon as a fiduciary of the company where he, like all board members, has to act in the best interest of the company and our shareholders, was the best path forward. And that's really what I want to key in with you today. Fiduciary duty, fiduciary responsibility, which is really one of the first topics I started talking about in virtual legality because I think there's a lot of misnomers about what it means, what it requires, or that the board has any of these duties to begin with. So, Before we get started talking about the statutory and legal concepts there of a fiduciary, I did want to point out that there's another angle that a lot of big journalistic outlets have taken on this. And I think we should talk about it because it's a part of the story. You see here CNBC has a headline. I'm using it as an example. You can find headlines like this across the internet. Musk backing off Twitter board opens door to hostile takeover, which granted as a pure technicality is accurate, right? Had he taken this board seat, had he agreed to the secondary condition, you get a board seat, but you can't go over 14.9%, there is no risk of a hostile takeover. And if you don't recognize the term other than having heard it in Disney movies or corporate dramas on HBO or what have you, it's important to note hostile takeover simply means that the board isn't on your side, right? When you go and you try to buy a publicly traded corporation, the most normal way to do it is to propose a deal to the board, the board looks at it, the board evaluates it, the board adopts it, approves it, and recommends its approval to the shareholders of that corporation. Because when we think about how a corporation is formed, the shareholders are really where the buck is supposed to stop under the law. The shareholders own the company and they elect the board to do their bidding. The board, as we've talked about in virtual legality, is a fiduciary is essentially in charge of a big pile of money that they can't use just for their own whims, but are supposed to use for the benefit of the shareholders that are technically, by law, their bosses. And so when you look at something like this, you see, hey, you're not going to be a fiduciary. You're not going to go over uh, 14.9%. Then it does open the door to a hostile takeover because now Elon's not going to take that seat and he can go over 14.9% if he so chose. So yes, it opens the door to a hostile takeover. It doesn't, however, mean that one will happen. This should not be read as a fait accompli that what Elon Musk is doing is saying, nope, I'm just playing tricks with you. And now I'm planning to come over the top and invest in the company and perform a hostile takeover that the board rejects, but I can buy it directly from the shareholders, et cetera, et cetera. If you have a normal deal, you'll see it look something like Microsoft and Activision, right? If you've been in virtual legality with us for a while, we've talked a lot about how that deal went down, how the strategy worked with respect to both Microsoft and Activision. But suffice to say, Microsoft got to an offer at a per share price that the board could accept, the board could say and justify was good for the 
shareholders, good for the corporation. And then it submitted that for approval of the shareholders, which is going to happen uh, at the end of this month, or at least that vote's going to be taken. I think it's is a fait accompli in that instance. I think the Activision shareholders will approve that deal. Here, a hostile takeover would be something completely different. But I didn't title this video, let's talk about hostile takeovers. I didn't title this video, Elon Musk to attack Twitter and its board. Nope, I titled it a fiduciary duty story because I think that's really where this story lives. So in order to understand that, we have to start out here by looking at what jurisdiction we're talking about. Like most publicly traded companies, Twitter is domiciled in the state of Delaware, which is a fancy legal terminology which says that's where we comply with the statutes to form what is a legally fictitious entity. A company is nothing more than a creature of law that by whatever rules of the jurisdiction that have been put forth, this entity complies with those rules and thus gets the benefits of that particular statute. Here, we're talking about the Delaware General Corporation Law, the DGCL. And as I said, like most public companies in Delaware, you have certain rules that govern how a Delaware corporation is to behave. Now, most of those are a little bit opaque. The biggest rule is, as we see here in Title Eight. The business and affairs of every corporation organized under this chapter shall be managed by or under the direction of a board of directors. It establishes the corporate form. Exactly what I just talked about. You've got shareholders that own you. They elect a board. The board governs things. The board appoints officers. And the board has certain duties to those shareholders because of that relationship. And we can see those summarized in other places. If we look at various references by the Delaware Supreme Court or the Delaware Chancery Court, we see these descriptions. A clear-eyed look at the law of corporations in Delaware reveals that within the limits of their discretion, directors must make stockholder welfare their sole end and that other interests may be taken into consideration only as a means of promoting stockholder welfare. Another quote, the corporate form is not an appropriate vehicle for purely philanthropic ends. And you could add, or other ends, at least not when there are other stockholders interested in realizing a return on its investment. And this gets into an interesting area that some folks have discussed with me in Virtual Legality. If you are a single shareholder-owned company, generally you can do what you like because you'd only be violating your own rights. You're a fiduciary to yourself, which kind of unifies and doesn't leave you any ground to have someone contest your actions uh, with the corporate assets. You still have to follow the corporate form and do all sorts of other things that if you were in my office across the desk from me, I would advise you on. Uh, but if you are a single shareholder, it doesn't quite have the same problems. That doesn't mean, however, that private companies don't have to worry about these kinds of things as well. You talk about an Epic Games or other big private companies, folks think that they don't have to abide by these fiduciary requirements. That's not true either because any given member of the board of directors or officer or controlling shareholders still is going to have potential obligations to the other shareholders, right? If you talk about something like, oh, I don't know, we just talked about a $2 billion investment in Epic Games for a $31 billion company, then you still have an obligation to be a fiduciary for that $2 billion if they don't have a presence on the officership or the board, etc. even though you're a private company, you're not traded on the New York Stock Exchange or anything else. As Delaware continues, they say, having chosen a for-profit corporate form, directors are bound by the fiduciary duties and standards that accompany that form. Those standards include acting to promote the value of the corporation for the benefit of the stockholders. The Inc. 
after the company name has to mean at least that. Thus, I cannot accept as valid a corporate policy that specifically, clearly, and admittedly seeks not to maximize the economic value of a for-profit Delaware corporation for the benefit of stockholders. Now, this is all very strong language, which unfortunately the internet generally interprets to mean you can only ever do profit-maximizing, evil mustache-twirling things for your corporation. And that's not true either. In fact, this entire article is talking about enlightened shareholder primacy, but basically under the premise that says you can do good things with your money. You can do things that maybe don't look like they're maximizing the dollars coming into the company at moment one, if it's increasing goodwill, if it's doing something that is going to encourage future investment or growth or value to the company in the long term. And that short term versus long term has been a constant fight in legal and other battles about the corporate form, etc. But the important part there is to note that from a video game perspective or any other perspective you might be interested in, it doesn't mean that the corporation that you like or that you're following has to go and jump on the biggest and newest trend to go and maximize profits because that might not be what is the long term best for the company. And as long as the board of directors can justify their thinking, Mostly, the courts are going to allow them to follow that justification through, even if it's a mistake. As we've talked about in other videos, that's the business judgment rule. The court will not step into the shoes of the board and question its decision-making as long as they don't violate some key duties that they have. And for our purposes here, the most important of which are the duty of care, which requires informed, deliberative decision-making based on all material information reasonably available. Got to pay attention. You can't skip your homework. They're going to send out packets of materials that you should read before the meeting. If you skip that, you could get in trouble. And the duty of loyalty, which requires acting, including deciding not to act, omitting to act, on a disinterested and independent basis, not based on your own whims, in good faith, and with an honest belief that the action is in the best interests of the company and its stockholders. There are other variations on those duties, but duty of care and duty of loyalty are the most important. And here, as this Skadden summary says, that means you should be well advised. You should read through your materials. You should ask questions, examine assumptions, gather and review information. You should act in good faith to do what's in the best interest of the corporation and its stockholders. And when you get done with all of that analysis, it means if you take on a board membership, you can't just advocate for yourself. If you're just a really rich guy that buys 9.2% of a company and wants to do whatever you want and advocate for whatever you want and tweet about whatever you want, mostly you're fine. Remember the shareholders are the bosses. They don't generally have fiduciary duties to each other. Now there is an exception there, which says that if you are a controlling stockholder, you might. Right, I've pulled up another article. The premise for contending that the controlling stockholder owes fiduciary duties in its capacity as a stockholder is that the controller exerts its will over the enterprise in the manner of the board itself. Right, as we just talked about, if this wasn't a classified board and you took a 51% interest in the company, then maybe you're responsible as a fiduciary to the other 49% because, hey, you can change the board at your whim. So everything that you do is under the same auspices as that of the board. It doesn't even need to be 51% to be fair. Like if we scroll down a little bit further in this article, we see a stockholder owes a fiduciary duty to other stockholders only if it owns a majority interest in or exercises control over the business affairs of the corporation. A stockholder with less than a 50% stake in the corporation can still be considered controlling if it somehow controls corporate conduct, such as through its relationships with directors or through threats of retaliation on other transactions. Note, by the way, that that threat of retaliation isn't in and of itself necessarily illegal. Stockholders have a broad basis to do what they like, but 
if they can control the board with those kinds of moves, then they have a fiduciary duty the same as the board, which by inverse, as you could probably surmise, also means that in Delaware, stockholders generally don't have obligations to each other. Certainly not a 9.2% stockholder, which opens up the ability for such a stockholder, maybe one with a loud digital mouth that has a lot of thoughts on things to say what they will. Now, instead, if you imagine that Elon Musk sits on the board of Twitter, could he even make the same tweets? Could he argue with Twitter? Could he complain about something that they are doing? I would argue that he would have a lot of trouble if he did. He already has trouble with the role that he has on Tesla, getting into trouble with the SEC, potentially getting into trouble with other shareholders because he is so open. And maybe that's a good, maybe we want that kind of transparency. Maybe we want to know what kind of person is leading a company like this. But as far as the law is concerned, if you're just attacking your own company, you're probably running at least a little bit of risk of getting in trouble with the other shareholders whose money you are a fiduciary for, right? And now we can see very clearly that when Pedrag Agrawal says these things, he's talking about what we were just describing. We were excited to collaborate and clear about the risks. We also believe that having Elon as a fiduciary of the company, where he, like all board members, has to act in the best interest of the company and all our shareholders, was the best path forward. Look, we've got a shareholder with a lot of money and a loud mouth. Probably the board has a meeting and says, we would prefer it if he were a fiduciary. There is a level of control that you have over a fiduciary, a board member of the company that you might not have if they're just a very animated, agitating shareholder. Now they say they explained this all to him and, and probably they did, probably his own legal counsel did. And by the time you get to his appointment, Elon says, no, actually, I've been giving this a lot of thought. I don't want to have those fiduciary responsibilities. It's worth noting that Elon isn't the only person that has ever come to this conclusion, right? As some of you know, I am a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. I'm also a venture capital lawyer. I've worked a lot with early stage funding for both my clients and on the opposite side, funding other small businesses. And one of the things you see very often in that space is, yeah, we'll fund you and we want to know what's going on but we don't want to be a board member. We don't want to be responsible for making sure we read through those packets every time. We don't want to have a fiduciary responsibility to the founders or the other people that are running this company. So what do they do? They do something that's called observer rights. I've pulled up an article, what are board observer rights? How should they be structured, et cetera. We're not gonna go into the legal structuring, but we will look at the summary. Angel investors and venture capitalists often look for ways they can monitor their investments and gain pertinent information on startups in which they invest. One way that investors and investment firms can access this information is by being granted board observer rights. Among other interests, these confer the rights of investors to sit in on meetings of the startup's board of directors. Board observer rights often give observers the right to be present and participate during board meetings. You could talk and report back on relevant happenings to other members of their investment firm. Observers are not afforded voting rights. So that's the difference, right? A board is going to be comprised of seven people, 12 people, whatever it might be. You don't get to vote on the things that are happening. You can, however, express your significant disdain about whatever they're discussing and how they should all vote no because you're otherwise gonna be very unhappy, et cetera, et cetera. Likewise, says this summary, the observer does not have fiduciary duties that members of the board have. So I can't even tell you how many board observation rights letters I have written in respect of investment agreements on an early stage level. It isn't impossible that that same kind of setup could be done at a company the size of Twitter. It would be unusual 
but that doesn't happen here does express a certain amount of hostility or at least friction if we don't want to describe this as hostile. By the time you get to Mr. Agrawal saying this is for the best, you get a notion that basically what Elon Musk was saying was I don't want to be bound by those things and I don't want to be on the board if that's what I'm going to have to be bound by. So yes, that opens the door because there's not a 14.9% blocker anymore. But at the end of the day, what I think you're really looking at is a man that wants to be able to tweet out what he wants, wants to be able to complain about Twitter to the board on Twitter. And they know he has a 9.2% interest in the company. And honestly, the ability to liquidate enough of his assets to go and really cause trouble for that same board if he wanted to do so. So he likes the role of a shark circling the island, but he doesn't want to be on the island itself because that would require him to be responsible for some of the people that are trapped on that island with him. And if you don't believe me, for the last thing in this video, you should believe Elon Musk himself. So after this all happens, he puts forth another amendment to his SEC filing. This morning, he says, on April 9th, 2022, the reporting person, it's me, Elon, informed the issuer that he is not joining the board. Now, he holds the common stock of the issuer for investment purposes. He tells the SEC, I'm not looking to flip this immediately. However, depending on the factors discussed herein, the reporting person may, from time to time, acquire additional shares of common stock, sure, and or retain or sell a portion of the shares of common stock held by the reporting person in an open market or in privately negotiated transactions. I can liquidate my interest. I can increase my interest. You should know this, SEC, because otherwise you're going to yell at me, which the SEC does a lot with Mr. Musk and or may distribute the common stock held by the reporting person to other entities. Any actions the reporting person might undertake will be dependent upon the reporting person's evaluation of numerous factors, including, among other things, the price levels of the common stock, that's be a good price, general market and economic conditions, ongoing evaluation of the issuer's business, financial condition, operations and prospects, the relative attractiveness of alternative business and investment opportunities, investors' need for liquidity, got bills to pay, and other future developments. So that paragraph is pretty standard, but it basically just says, look, I'm going to be a person out here. I'm not bound to anything. You all should know that. He continues, however, to explain what he really wants to do, in my opinion. From time to time, the reporting person may engage in discussions with the board and or members of the issuer's management team, issuer's Twitter for these purposes, concerning, including without limitation, potential business combinations and strategic alternatives. Hey, maybe we want to do something together. Tesla and Twitter, two Ts. The business, operations, capital structure, governance, management, strategy of the issuer, and other matters concerning the issuer. So here's where he's saying he, don't, he doesn't intend to take control of the company, but I will be having conversations with the board. I will be having conversations with the management team that includes every possible thing you can think of with how to run a company. Strategic alternatives, business combinations, operations, capital, governance, management, etc. Further, he says the reporting person may express his views to the board and or members of the issuer's management team and or the public through what? social media or other channels with respect to the issuer's business products and service offerings. I want to be clear. I'm going to still say stuff about Twitter. I got a 9% interest. That's fine. I might have a 10% interest tomorrow. Could be 15, 20, whatever. I'm going to reserve the right to talk to these people. Yes, in private meetings. Sure. But also through their own service. I'm going to continue being me. And this is a bit of an unusual paragraph. Except to set forth above, the reporting person has no present plans or intentions, which would result in or relate to any of the transactions described in the more fulsome version of the schedule. Suffice it to say, he is saying, I don't have any present plans to take over the company. But the rest of the paragraph basically obliterates that. However, 
The reporting person reserves the right to change his plans at any time, as he deems appropriate. And in light of his ongoing evaluation of numerous factors, including, among other things, the price levels of the common stock, general market and economic conditions, ongoing evaluation of the issuer's business, financial conditions, operations, and prospects, the relative attractiveness of alternative business and investment opportunities, reporting person's need for liquidity and other future developments. Now, you might think that was basically covered up here where he says, I'll buy or sell stock as I so fit. Well, this is a little bit more of a shot across the bow. You see two giant entities here in Elon Musk and Twitter itself, basically pinging each other with small little pinpricks, but pinging each other nonetheless. I will not commit to not buying this company. I want to talk up or down the board and management on social media. I will do these things, but these things do not comprise control of the company, SEC, if you decide to sue me, whatever, but I want you to know I'm going to do these things. This isn't control as you have otherwise seen it, according to his counsel, et cetera, et cetera, and the SEC might have its own views on that, but I'm going to do these things. No one should feel safe. I am that shark circling the island, and I'm telling you this in public in a form that I'm filing with the SEC. So while I think the articles like Musk backing off Twitter board opens door to hostile takeover, while technically correct, go too far in putting presumptions into the public's mind about what this means. There is no question in my mind, reading these documents, talking about fiduciary duties, this is for the best. Seeing Elon Musk respond with this kind of amendment to his Schedule 13D, that there isn't friction, there isn't a little bit of hostility there, and maybe a little bit of fear on the part of Twitter, which is definitely going to be worth following as the Twitter Elon Musk saga continues. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy this type of content, talking about the law and business of tech, pop culture, video games, and more, please consider supporting the channel at Utreon or Patreon. We get a little bit more money from Utreon, so please consider that first and foremost. But if you're more comfortable with Patreon, that is totally fine as well. Otherwise, if you just want to subscribe, upvote, downvote, ring bells, engage with YouTube, every little bit helps make our subscriber number grow, makes the algorithm like us more, etc., etc. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.